choir. We're in our series on biographies, and uh, I think we've got a couple more to go with this series. Today we're talking about Joshua and the attitude of an overcomer. I won't ask for a raising of hands because you may be indicating yourself or the person next to you, but how many of you know somebody that when life is tough, the word overcomer doesn't come to mind? They get defeated, they get down, they get discouraged, they never look at the bright side, it's always the dark side, the glass is always uh, half empty. They're, they're always looking at life from the negative perspective. They never look for God in that moment. They, they do not have the attitude of an overcomer. And then you have others who no matter what life seems to throw them, they are able to have the attitude over an overcomer even if at the moment things are not well. I remember a preacher from years ago who said, uh, I was going through the worst year of my life. And he said, a friend came to me and said, man, I know you're going through a terrible time and it's just, it's just awful. He said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to throw a party. He said, throw a party? He said, how can you throw a party when you're going through such bad times? He said, well, my Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And since I didn't hear him the first time and I went out on a pity party and I read it the second time and he told me twice to rejoice, I'm going to do what God says and see if I can rejoice my way through this time. Now, that's not denying the problem. It is realizing that God is always bigger than whatever situation we're going through. Now, you think about Joshua, here's a man who is dealing with life, and he has not had an easy road. He's born in slavery, he's been wandering with rebellious people for 40 years, and now he's being tasked to lead people into a new land. So he's been a slave, he's been a follower, now he's a leader, and he has to take people who are not really equipped to go to war and take them to war and take the land that God has promised them. So Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Joshua 1 and verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. By the way, he had given it to them 40 years before, but they had a, not an overcoming attitude, and so they wandered in the wilderness and died for 40 years because they really didn't believe that God had given it to them. They needed an attitude adjustment and a faith adjustment. He said, I have given it to them just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea, toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong 
and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all that the law which your Moses, which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may succeed wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For they will make, then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want us to look first of all this morning at preparation time is never wasted time. Joshua is a man who is following a legend. I mean, how do you become the successor of Moses? And really, this is the first time that this in a leadership uh, principle has happened in the, in the entire scriptures up to this point, because Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, and that was a, a lineage, but this is a leadership issue. How do you follow a legacy who has served? How, how do you follow the guy that's been given the Ten Commandments? I mean, you know, how'd you like that? Well, what are you going to do for us? You know, he got us the Ten Commandments. How do you follow somebody like that? My generation is in a transitional time with the generation that has gone before us. A number of the great men of God in my lifetime, the last 25 years at least, have passed off the scene, have died and gone to their eternal reward. And they have been followed by people in my generation and a little younger. Most of the guys, as I've watched what's happened, have had a hard time following a legend. They've had a hard time stepping into those shoes. They have either tried to ignore the leader of the past, to deny the leader of the past and cut their own swath, or they have tried to do everything they can to pretend that that leader was never there. All of those are tragic mistakes when you follow a legendary leader. Now, Moses had been leading for 40 years. They were not unfamiliar with Joshua, but Joshua had not been the leader, the one who made the final calls, the one who made the final decisions. And one of the things I would tell you, whether you're in the business world or whether you're in the church world, is when you follow a leader, you better make sure that you know what you're doing and you don't shoot from the cuff. Because if you just kind of shoot from the cuff, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And you're going to go too fast or too far, and you're not going to be able to bring people with you in the process. And so leadership, part of being a good leader is being a good follower. Knowing how to be one who follows. Knowing that it's not all about what I think or what I feel, but it is about thinking through the process of what I'm asking people to do. Think about Joshua. He's about to tell the people to do the same thing that Moses told them to do. They rebelled on Moses. How is he going to do something differently and yet inspire confidence in them so that when he tries to lead them across, they don't spend another 40 years in the wilderness and somebody else has to step up and lead? So let me give you some examples of some things here in the life of Joshua. Number one, he was Moses' personal minister. 
He was Moses' personal minister. Every leader needs another leader beside them to help them. This is what Joshua did. It said, Moses rose with his servant Joshua and went up to the mountain of God. When Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, some of the elders went up, some of the Levites went up, a few went up, but Joshua was the one that got the closest. He was always standing around ready to assist Moses at every turn. He was his personal minister. Joshua was not standing around in the background saying, when is it going to be my turn to be in charge? Joshua was content to be Moses' personal servant and personal minister. Secondly, he was with Moses in prayer. He was with Moses in prayer. You remember when Moses went to the tent of meeting outside the camp and he prayed. It said Joshua did not depart from the tent. When Moses left the tent, Joshua stayed. Moses went back to the people, but Joshua hung around a little longer around the tent to just maintain that attitude of prayer, to stay focused on God and what God was saying and what God was doing because he needed to understand not only what God was doing, but he needed God to help him know how to help Moses in the best possible way. Thirdly, he was with Moses in believing the promises of God. He was a man that didn't doubt the word of God. He didn't doubt the promises of God. He believed the promises of God. God had given the Ten Commandments, and God had said, this is my word, and he believed in those promises. By the way, he also believed the promise that the land was theirs for the taking because only Joshua and Caleb came back with the right report. The other ten came back with a bad report. The question I have for you as a leader, when called on to believe in a principle that is greater than you, do you believe that principle or do you start trying to make excuses for it? Do you believe the promises of God or do you start saying, well, that might have been true then, but I'm not sure it's true now. Now turn to the book of Numbers chapter 27 and you can turn back just a couple of pages to Deuteronomy 31 because I want you to see two passages because this is the, third, this is the fourth thing. He was prepared by Moses to be the eventual leader. He was prepared by Moses to be the eventual leader. Moses and God had a succession plan in place before Moses ever died. There was a plan out way that this was going to go when Moses passed off the scene. There was a succession plan. Numbers chapter 27 and verse 18. Numbers 27, 18. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, and have him stand before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. You shall put some of your authority on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. In other words, Moses is intentionally starting to delegate some of his authority to Joshua so that the people will be inclined to obey him when Joshua takes his place. So Moses and God are working on the transition because Moses is not going to live forever. 
Deuteronomy 31 and verse 14. Deuteronomy 31 verse 14. Here again you see another reference to Moses and God preparing Joshua to be the eventual leader. Deuteronomy 31 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the time for you to die is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting that I may commission him. Now Moses has laid hands on him. Now God is commissioning him. Verse 23. Then he commissioned Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and courageous. By the way, that's the fourth time that you see that. It's three times in Joshua, once here. Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. Here's a man who is being prepared. And by the way, all of us, especially young in our lives, God is trying to position us and to prepare us to take a mantle or to take a position of leadership. If you're a child, if you're a teenager, if you're young in your career, you need to remember that God is putting you in situations to hear the word, to listen to him, to look to mentors. God is putting you in positions and in situations to get wisdom from others so that if the time comes and a leader is needed, you are prepared to step in and to fill that spot. There is no wasted time in life. Every decision you make, every choice you make, every goal that you set, every career decision that you make is preparing you either to be stuck somewhere in life or to step up somewhere in life to a leadership position which nobody else is willing to take. By the way, let me just give you a great word here. Okay, this, I got this word from a friend of mine this week. We were talking about the movies and about what God is doing and about refresh conferences and a lot of other things. And this is what he said to me. He's a guy that has preached here before. And he said, Michael, he said, I am always convicted by what I see God doing through you at Sherwood. He said, and here's my conviction for you. You weren't God's first choice. He said, God didn't look down and say, I'm going to choose Michael for that. He said, I'm going to tell you what God did. God went to about 20 other people and asked them to do it, and they all gave him excuses. You were the first one that said, I'll do that. Do you really think that God waited until Albany, Georgia, and Sherwood Baptist Church to say, I'll put a team together and we'll make movies? Don't you think a church in Hollywood got that opportunity before we did? Don't you think a church in Orlando, in New York City, was given that opportunity before us? We were just happened to be the first ones that said, we're available. By the way, if you get a position of influence, don't strut. You weren't the first one he asked. You just happened at the moment to be available. And God is looking for available people. God uses people that are sometimes not the most talented, not the most gifted, not the most educated, but he uses people that are willing to put themselves on a path of obedience to obey God so that when God's looking for somebody, he doesn't have to hunt a long time.
And he finds somebody that he can raise up and use in a way beyond their normal and natural capabilities so that in the process, God gets all the glory for everything that's done. And that's what God did with Joshua. There were a lot of sharp men. In fact, there were 12 at one point. 12 sharp men. Any of them could have stepped up and been the successor to Moses. Only two of them even gave themselves a chance to be in that position. Why? Because when they were young, they made dumb choices. They looked at the giants and quit looking at God. And they came back and gave a bad report. And so God just said, well, there's 10 that have automatically disqualified themselves from having any position of leadership in my future of what I'm going to do with the people of Israel. Think about your choices. It matters what you do when you're 10. It matters what you do when you're 16 and get your driver's license. It matters what you do when you reach a legal drinking age to choose not to do it because it matters what you do. Because somewhere along the line, dumb decisions cost you a kingdom. Dumb decisions cost you an opportunity for influence because they come back and they haunt you. Look at the priorities of the overcomer. First of all, prayer. You remember when they were fighting the Amalekites and Moses called Joshua to lead the battle and Moses went up to intercede. Let me tell you what Joshua knew. Joshua knew battle tactics, but Joshua also knew as long as the arms of Moses were raised up, they were victorious. And when the arms of Moses fell down, the battle did not go their way. Joshua understood that in battle, there is also a battle in prayer that has to go on. That's why intercessory prayer is so important to all that we do because no matter what we do, if it is not undergirded by prayer, it lacks the power that we need for victory. Secondly, he understood authority. He understood authority. Joshua, for 40 years, second in command. I mean, he, you know, he, he never had an opportunity except what Moses gave him as is coming to the time, he never complained about being second in command. By the way, you know the hardest instrument to play in the orchestra is second fiddle. Everybody wants to be first chair, but not everybody can be first chair. But if you don't have second chair and third chair and fourth chair, you don't have an orchestra, you have a solo. And if you want to have a team, embrace your place on the team. It's not about titles. It's not about offices. It's not about perks. It's about what God has positioned you with that he can trust you with by giving you that position. He understood authority. There would never be another Moses but Moses was not indispensable. They were going to survive and prosper under the leadership of Joshua. And let me just give you a thought here. The person that can't follow can't lead. I've had young men in my office that have been for counsel to staff member after staff member after staff member. And every one of us would tell that young man the same thing. And he'd walk right out and do just the opposite of what we told him to do. 
Listen, if you can't follow, you can't lead. If you can't listen to people that are older than you, wiser than you, been down the track more than you have, you cannot lead. And if you do lead, you're going to be an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. It's just a matter of time. That is why Timothy needed a Paul. Because Paul could say to Timothy, this is what I want you to do, and this is the way I expect you to do it. So, well, Timothy should have been able to think for himself. Well, he would. Paul was going to die one day, and he could. But up until that point, as long as he was a disciple of Paul, do what Paul tells you to do. And some churches ordain men to ministry far too young and far too soon. And then that young man thinks he's got a right and a title and entitlement to be whatever he wants to be, but he won't come under authority. He thinks anybody over 30 doesn't have a brain, which proves he doesn't have one. You know, I've been young and I've been old, and some people are just young and they need to shut up sometimes and listen to somebody that's been down the road a few more times. I mean, you can put your hand on the stove and see if it's hot, or I can tell you it's hot. <laughs> Either way you want to do it, it's fine with me. I mean, you can go in and say, I don't care what the committees in my church say. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You can do that. You can also send your resume out on Monday morning. I mean, you know, it, that works. It works for you. He understood authority. Thirdly, he understood God's calling and promises. He understood God's calling and promises. He says, no man, verse 5, will be able to stand before you. That's a promise. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. That's a promise. I will not fail you or forsake you. That's a promise. What happened? God enabled him to fulfill the promises given and the commands and orders given. God enabled him so that he could live up to the promises that God had given him and to the orders that God had given him. So look at the third thing. God's plan is revealed in the providence of God, in the Word. It is revealed in the Word. Joshua 1.8, we've already read it, that we are to meditate on the Word day and night. Let me give you some thoughts about that. You ought to read the Word. You ought to study the Word. You ought to meditate on the Word. You ought to memorize the Word. And most of all, you ought to obey the Word. Now, this is a real simple illustration. You ought to read it, you ought to study it, you ought to meditate on it, you ought to memorize it, and you ought to obey it. This is a real simple illustration. The Navigators came up with this years ago. It's called the hand illustration. It's about how the word, how we have to have the word more than just one way. If you got a hand, and let's say, well, I'm reading the word, I'm meditating on the word, I'm memorizing the word, but you're not obeying it, you can't hold your Bible. By the way, you can't obey what you don't know. So you got to read it. you got to hear it. you got to meditate on it. you got to memorize it. Because to get a strong grip on the Word of God, you got to have all five. That's what Joshua did. He meditated on it. He listened to the promises. He took it in. He absorbed what God had said to him. He listened to the way God had spoke to him. He obeyed the commands that God had given him. And he had a strong grip on the Word. Secondly, God's power is revealed and is the key to victory. God's plan is revealed in the Word. God's power is the key to victory. Let me give you a couple of thoughts under this one. First of all, God could do 
what Joshua could not do. Joshua did not have the manpower, the equipment, the artillery. He didn't have anything necessary to knock down the walls of Jericho, which if they didn't get by Jericho, there was no victory and there was no taking the promised land. They're going to get defeated and destroyed right there. God could do what Joshua cannot do. Do you understand today that God can do things for you that you can't do? I mean, there's just some things you're not going to be able to do. God's going to have to do them for you. God's going to have to do it through you, in you. Sometimes he has to do it in spite of you. But the, by faith, Hebrews 11 tells us, the walls of Jericho fell by faith. Now imagine one of our political candidates coming in today and saying, by faith, we're going to overcome terrorism in the world. We'd all say, don't elect him, he's not ready for leadership. That's exactly what Joshua had to say to the people. We're going to walk around. We're going to be silent. We're going to keep our mouth shut. We're going to march around that city for seven days. And I don't care what they say to you. You don't talk back. And we're going to watch God do something. Secondly, God could use Joshua only if he was surrendered to the captain of the Lord of hosts. God could use Joshua only to the extent of his surrender. Let me read Joshua 5, 13. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him and his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went over to him and said, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as captain of the Lord of hosts. Joshua fell on his face bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? I love what Adrian Rogers used to say about this passage. When Joshua and Joshua 5 met the captain of the Lord of hosts, he said, Are you for me or are you for them? And God said, The captain of the Lord of hosts said, I didn't come to take sides, I came to take over. You know, God doesn't come to take your side against somebody else's side. When God comes, he comes to take over. And he wants you to take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. And he wants you to bow before him because he can do what you cannot do. Number three, God's plan brings victory even if it, even if it seems odd to us. Joshua 6 and verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, I have given, past tense, already done, I have given Jericho into your hand with its kings and valiant warriors you shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once, and you shall do this for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. And not one time does it ever say, and Joshua said, Lord, that doesn't sound like that plan's going to work. You know why most of our churches are not overcoming? You know why most of our churches aren't baptizing people? You know why most of our churches are fighting and fussing? Is because they won't believe the word of God. When God says do something, just zip your mouth and do it. If God says be quiet and don't say anything, 
then be quiet. Don't say anything. If God says shout, you ought to shout. Most Baptists think that means, hey, wall, fall down, please. He told them to keep quiet, and he told them to be ready. When the horns are shouted, blown, and the crowd shouts, that wall's going to come down, and you move straight ahead and take the city of Jericho. Let's look at the third thing. God's provision demands our patience. Demands our patience. It's hard to wait on God. I mean, we want, we, we, we've got everything, fast food, drive through quick, instant this, instant that. It's hard to wait on God. I mean, these people had to wait six days. Some of us can't wait six minutes. And they got to wait six days for God. But God's providence demands our patience. Why? Because it's always in God's timing, not in our timing. Now, there's two key failures in the book of Joshua. Joshua is not a man. His name means Jehovah saves. But Joshua is not a man without faults. There are two keys. One is in the battle in Ai. Battle in Ai was right after Jericho. They defeated the fortified city in the land. There's this little town. I mean, it's not even a town. It's not even incorporated. They don't even have a volunteer sheriff or a volunteer fire department. I mean, this town is nothing. And they come to Joshua and say, hey, why don't we just take a few folks and go over there and just wipe that little town out and Everybody can sit here and drink lemonade. We'll have hamburgers and hot dogs when they get back. We'll have some good potato salad, maybe some homemade ice cream. They just run over there. Just a few of them can run over there and take that land and then come on back. Joshua said, sounds good. They came back. This little two-bit town had killed 36 of them. And they come running back in defeat because they forgot to pray and obey the word and do it God's way. By the way, defeat can come in a small area of our lives if we don't pray and obey the word and do it God's way. You say, well, that's a small area. Hey, I was a small town. Then there's the deception of the Gibeonites. Later on in the book of Joshua, you see The Gibeonites thought, man, these people are going to kill all of us. And so they disguised themselves and made themselves look like they had come from a far country. And without praying about it, Joshua took them at appearances and made a covenant and a treaty with them. And then had to waste time defending them because he had entered into a treaty with them because he did not pray about it again. When you don't pray, when you don't obey the word, you don't wait on God, you're always going to make a bad decision. And it's going to come back and come against you again and again and again because you didn't do it God's way. So God's plan finally will stand the test of time. You're all familiar with Joshua 24, 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. By the way, that's an amazing statement to me. Forty years in the wilderness because of disobedience. 
people that had seen God strike people down for building a golden calf, and they still are carrying around some of these images of gods from Egypt. I mean, drop that puppy and let it go. Get rid of it. This thing is not going to help you. Who's been protecting you for the last 40 years? God in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And he says, which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, let me tell you something real quick here as we're wrapping this up. First of all, there are three things that you need to see here. He said, fear the Lord. Honor, revere, respect. Don't be cocky. Don't be arrogant. You remember who you are and you remember who God is. Fear the Lord. Serve Him in the sincerity and truth. Not half-hearted service. Not when you feel like serving. Not when it's convenient. You serve Him with a pure heart undefiled sincerity and truth and put away the gods of Egypt. Now, if you note those three phrases and you remember that three times these people affirmed that they were going to serve God, but their affirmation fell through just a few generations later because in the book of Judges, there arose a generation that did not know God after Joshua and his generation was gone. Nine times... In the book of Joshua, they built memorials to remember God's faithfulness. The command to us today is to fear the Lord, to serve Him in sincerity and truth, and to put away the gods of Egypt. There's a quote coming up on the IMAG. Francis Schaeffer said, He understood the dynamics of choice. Once for all choice, and existential choice as well. Thus, His word to the people was not an affirmation puffed up on the spur of the moment. It was deeply embedded in Joshua's comprehension of what is required of a person made in the image of God, one called upon not to obey God like a machine or an animal, but to obey God by choice. And so let me give you three summary statements. They're not going to be on the screen. Three summary statements. Number one, prayer demands patience. If you're going to be an overcomer, first of all, you got to be a person of prayer. Prayer demands patience. God does not answer prayer as quickly as you can get money out of your ATM machine. God is not a vending machine. God is not a drive-through. Prayer demands patience. If you're going to be an overcomer, an overcomer implies the fact that you're having to overcome, and that's a process. Secondly, the Word demands obedience. If I'm going to be an overcomer, I can't just obey the part of the Word that I want to obey. I have to obey all that God has said. The Word demands obedience. And then thirdly, authority demands service. If I want to be in a position of authority, if I want to be in a position of leadership, if I want to be in a position where God can use me, then I, first of all, as Jesus said, have to be a servant. Jesus said, if you want to be great, be a servant. Be a servant of others. Prayer, the word, submission to authority. 
By the way, I just have a hunch. The reason that in our culture it's hard for people to submit to authority is because if you don't understand God's authority, you won't understand anybody else's. But when you understand God's authority and that he is the sovereign ruler of the universe and you don't get to vote on that one. When you understand God's authority, then it is easy for you to be under someone else's authority because you realize that all authority proceeds from the throne of God. After all, we don't like it, but Paul told us to obey those who were in authority. And at the time that Paul wrote that, most of the judges, the courts, the senate, and the emperor of Rome were either adulterers or homosexuals. You see, we don't get to obey our leaders when we agree with them. We do have the privilege of dissent and the freedom of speech. But all authority is given from God. And you know what might happen to a nation one day that doesn't understand authority and to teenagers that don't understand authority and to children and to young people and to young adults and to college students and to senior adults that don't understand authority? God might just start giving this nation the leaders we deserve rather than the ones we need. And then by force, just like in Russia and in China, we will obey or we will die. Better to yield to authority willingly and to pray for those in authority than for God to put you in a situation where the only way you can learn to surrender your heart is when you have been driven to your face. In light of that, let's stand and respond to God this morning. Lord God, you are the authority of our lives. There are no rivals. You're not trying to be number one. You're not trying to be at the head of our list. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You reign on a throne that is unchallenged. You sit as sovereign ruler over this universe. If we want to overcome, if we want to have power in our lives, if, if we want to have authority in our lives, if, if we want to walk in victory and, and be identified as overcomers, then first of all, we must surrender to you as the Lord, the boss, the master of our lives. And then we must patiently pray and obediently read and study and meditate and Memorize the Word of God. Lord, I pray that if there's any person in this room struggling with the issues that we've talked about today, that the first and only response that could come to their mind would not be debate or dialogue, but the first and only response in their mind would be surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Absolute surrender. A yielding of self a yielding of our all in all so that we can be positioned to be overcomers in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, for those that are in this room today that don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that as we begin to sing that they'll step out and come and make that profession of faith in Christ. For those that need to come and be a part of this church family, I pray, Father, that they, if this is the place that you want them, if this is the place you have for them, that they would come and join in fellowship with this church family. Lord, for those that need to come to this altar, bring them to this altar. Lord, this invitation is yours. We surrender these next few moments under your lordship in every pew and in every seat and in every aisle. May you be Lord over all. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. The choir singing.